Mark chapter 6, starting verse 14. And here's where we really get to talk about some more heavy stuff that I wish they would have talked about more. You know, in the shack, the problem of pain is addressed, and I think that they do as well as they can, especially in the movie, in a uh, short period of time. Um, but there are a lot of unanswered questions. In fact, as I was watching the movie, I was already writing the article in my head that I will be reading soon in atheist publications. <clears throat> I read atheist publications. I, I want to know what's being said. I want to know what the arguments are. Um, I want to know, you know what, what the timber of the room is. And so I read uh, Skeptic, which is a, a monthly magazine, Skeptic Inquirer, which is also Skeptical Inquirer, which is also monthly, American Atheist, uh, whatever I can grab, and then several blogs that they, there's a, actually a whole section of blogs for atheists. And I already knew which questions they were going to ask and say which ones weren't asked in the shack and such. Be aware. No movie is going to settle an issue that philosophers have been arguing about for 2,000 years. It, and just, it just starts a conversation, is all you can really do. But here's another conversation starter. Chapter 6 of Mark, verse 14. <clears throat> King Herod heard about this, the demons being cast out, the people being healed. For Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. Still others proclaimed, he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. Let's stop for a minute. One of the things that atheists sometimes will throw at you, whenever you talk about Jesus was raised from the dead, a lot of people saw him, and they, they testified concerning that in the first century. They'll say, people back then believed magical stories like that. No, they didn't. They believed a lot of magical stories. People today believe a lot of magical stories. But raised from the dead was not a story that the common person believed at all. It was shocking. Herod didn't say here, he was raised from the dead, another one? No. It would have been too shocking going, wait, 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 wait. Something's off here. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested and had him bound and put in prison. This is the way Mark tells the story. Tells the end of it, and I was going to go back and tell you how he got there. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. It's interesting here that Herodias is not referred to as his wife, but rather as his brother's Philip's wife, who he married. What's going on here is this. It was against Jewish law to marry your brother's wife. That was just not accepted. Herod did it and flaunted it. Now, I'm going to give you a parallel. It was absolutely against the law what David and Bathsheba did. Um, and again, Bathsheba could have been completely innocent in all of this. Uh, she had no power, and, and David had all the power. But regardless, he had her husband killed so he could marry her because he'd already impregnated her. And she's referred to as the wife of Uriah the Hittite, even though they're married, until David repents. And every, after that, every time after that, she's referred to as David's wife. 
This indicates Herod never repented. He never acknowledged that he had done wrong. So that said, Herod was a nasty guy. I don't want to go into all of that. Uh, you can look him up. There are several Herods. None of them were good, so whatever one you find, good enough. Um, this is Herod the Great, which, who wasn't so great. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. We got, we got to stop again. Why would Herod, who killed his own family members like this, why would he be afraid of John? A couple of reasons. Let's do the... Um, Let's do the practical one first. Because a lot of people like John the Baptist. And if, you might say, well, you're Herod, you can just kill him. Who cares what the people think? That would be absolutely true if Herod was absolutely the king. But what he really is, is a sub-lieutenant of Rome. And Rome had a rule. Keep the peace. If you didn't keep the peace... They'd kick you. That's why Pontius Pilate was so disturbed uh, during the crucifixion time. I got to kill somebody, but I got to do this in a way that doesn't do the riots. Because he, he knew what would happen if this got back to Rome. And in fact, the Jewish leaders said, if you won't kill Jesus, we're going to tell Rome. And so that whole political thing. But there's another reason. And it's given here, knowing to be a holy and righteous guy. Herod wanted the Jews to like him. This is so bizarre. He was an awful person and an awful family, but he really wanted the Jews to think, we love that Herod. He is one great Jew, not just a great leader. He wanted to be known as a great Jew. So he was involved in renewing the temple at great cost over decades of time so that they would look upon that and say, that Herod, that Herod likes God, and he's one great Jewish guy. And now for him to then go kill a prophet among the Jews, you see that? He's, he's really in a bad situation, but I don't feel bad for him, but there he is. When Herod heard John, the name John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guest. All right, I've seen the old movies where it was some sort of salacious, you know, daughter of the seven veils type dance. Um, I didn't see a dirty movie. They, this was a big theme in the old black and white movies days. And I think some of you have seen this. Um, and where he goes, oh, and he's lusting after the daughter. We don't know that. We don't know how old she was. She could have been a little pixie coming there and just dancing around. And he was going, oh, that's great. I, I doubt that. I doubt that. But we don't know enough of the story here to really make a movie out of it. But he was happy. And the king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I'll give it to you up to half my kingdom. Now that should help you remember somebody. Who said that every time they turned around? Do you Remember? Ahasuerus, also known as Xerxes, to Esther. And it's, it's put in there for you to remember that story. 
because this is not going to end well for Herod. I'll give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? <laughs> you know, what do you want? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. So she was a sweetheart, I guess, is, is what we really, the thing we're trying to learn here. Uh, that that you know, Hallmark card writer, she was just one of the, you know, a peach of a mother-in-law, this one was. The head of John the Baptist. Uh, once a girl hurried into the king with the request, I want you to give me right now, um, by the way, the words right now aren't in the manuscripts, but the, the voicing of the verb indicates now. Uh, I don't know why I even told you that. It's just boring minutia. Anyway, um, but boring minutia is my life, frankly. Um, and <laughs> if I have to suffer, so do you. Frank, I, I, really, you know, you're no better than me. Actually, you are. But it, moving on, moving on. Um, I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. That's where we get the expression. Want that on a platter. I want you to serve that right up to me. Okay? This was a dysfunctional family, if you hadn't picked that up. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he'd said it out loud. Who else did that, Xerxes? We told Vashti, you may never come before me again. And everybody then realizes, oh, we heard that. That means you're divorced. Uh-oh, that doesn't look good. I got to get a wife. So he does this whole emperor's new groove thing of bringing all the women in. Um, if you don't know what that is, that was a great animated Disney movie back before. Uh, you, you really got to go look at that. It's, it's hilarious. Anyway, Minutia again. But they'd heard him, so he's got to do it now. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. John was already in prison. Remember, John was in prison, and he actually sent messengers to Jesus saying, if you're Jesus, why am I in prison? Are you the one we're waiting for, or should we wait for somebody else? I think that was a dig to push his cousin, Jesus. Work on it now. Go. Start. I have said things like that to God so many times. All right, you're God. You can do this. What are you waiting for? Come on. I do that. Um, somebody wrote on my Facebook wall the, the thing, because I wrote about the shack, that the, um, the, the two best actors were the man, Mackenzie, and the young girl that is, is taken and, and disappears. Uh, the others, the, uh, I, I appreciated the roles they were playing, but as acting, I'm thinking the director blew it on them. And the one goes, I didn't like the, the father because he just kept that same expression of anger the whole time. <clears throat> Your daughter has been taken by a beast and killed. Beastly man. Your expression doesn't leap about. It stays in anger. Have you met somebody whose expression has been locked down for 30 years? Yeah, because they're still struggling. They're, they're still fighting. I... I told you last week, and there are points, if you remember, that Isaiah was saying, everything's about to collapse, everything's about to be destroyed, but there is hope. But the hope doesn't come for almost 800 years. What about all those people in between saying, hurry up, God, you can do this now, because let's all agree, God could do it now. Why isn't he doing it now? I'm going to tell you right now, nobody knows but him. I've, I've read so many books on a problem of pain. My favorites, 
to by Philip Yancey. Um, where is God when it hurts? And disappointment with God. But if you want to get deeper, read Greg Boyd's God at War. And that puts it into a whole different perspective. So you can listen to the tape later if you didn't get this tape, like we tape things. You can listen to the zeros and ones later if you want to hear those titles again. But we don't have easy answers. And as frustrated as I, and I got frustrated during the shack. Please don't, do not take that as a blast against the movie. It is not a blast against the movie. I get frustrated anytime people start trying to talk about the problem of evil. Because there's no solution we can put our heads around. And everybody who thinks they have a solution annoys me. Because most of them have lived a very pain-free life. Let's drag you behind the horses for a while around the Colosseum and see if your answers change. John the Baptist didn't get his answer except one. They came back and Jesus said, you just go tell him the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. God is still at work. Yes, sir. Well, I think it's an excellent question. His question was, why was the daughter so willing to go ask for such a horrendous thing? That is unknown and unknowable to us. We don't have historical records about her and her personality at all. That's another reason why some think, instead of being this seductress teen or in her 20s, she might have been a little girl. Because little girls will just say what you told them to say. But nobody knows. She could have been a nasty woman. She might have been upset at John the Baptist too. She might have been raised by her mom to hate John the Baptist. Understand right now in the Middle East and in some mosque around the world, little kids are taught to hate Jews and hate Christians. Little kids are given cartoon books and coloring books on how to behead and why they must. You're raised with this, what are you going to think? So it could have been she was raised with hate. It's just an unknowable. Yes, Matthew. Yes, she, his, his real, real question is, isn't this going to get Herod in the same place as if he had killed him outright earlier? The answer is yes, Herod got in trouble with Rome. And Herod was looked down upon by Rome. And the surviving, we don't have a lot, but the surviving Roman era writings about Herod are all very negative. Uh, and we get most of that actually third hand, to be, or secondhand through Josephus, to be honest. But we get some through some other literature as well. By the way, if you ever you want to read Josephus, it, it can be quite boring, but it can be quite fascinating as well. It's all free. It's, it's been out of copyright for about 2,000 years. Uh, and so, so it's easy to buy the book. So Flavius Josephus. Uh, anyway, the king was greatly distressed because of his oath. Immediately sent an execution with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in a prison and brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. 
Um, Happy Mother's Day. On hearing this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. And the story ends. If we were writing the story, would we end it there? No. We'd have a big confab with Jesus explaining why God allowed this. I could be very unfair to you and say, why did God allow this? The answer is we don't know, except that to God, dying is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Um, that's really hard for us. I, I, I would hate to be put in a room by God saying, listen, a lot of ways off the planet. Um, you could spend 25 years in a nursing home. I don't want that one. Okay. Do you want to be beheaded by this guy over here? No. Um, would you like... I, I was in a room once with guys that actually started talking about the way they would like to die. And I'm going, how did I get in this room? I have, I have no interest in this. I finally, they came to me, and the only thing I could think of was, uh, I would like to die of injuries sustained from falling off my wallet. And they didn't like that one. Um, the guy that won, by the way, in my opinion, he won. It was not a Christian thing at all, but he won. He said, I'd like to be shot to death at age 95 by a jealous husband. I went, I'll, that one, that was me too. I meant that. He took my answer. Uh, but again, there are no wonder, well, yes, we could all die in our sleep with a smile on our face. Yeah, that can happen. But dying is not the worst thing that could happen to us. And terror is not the worst thing that could happen to us because it's temporary. Everything, how many times does the Bible say, say, and it came to pass? I have to remind myself of this because I get frustrated with God's timing. I don't know if you do or not. And I know most preachers won't tell you. I get very frustrated. I don't know how many times I walked in the room and said, all right, and I, just, I, I go ahead, and I usually do this out loud. Because if I don't, I, my mind wanders. So I'll go and I'll wait until Cammie's away. And then we have an out loud talk with God. Um, God does not answer back. He knows I go to the Church of Christ. I couldn't handle that. But he works within my spirit and in the argument to get me through the situation. And if you're thinking, well, why would you say that to God? People, if you have questions or uh, being upset at God, talk to him. First of all, he's God. He knows. So talk to him. Get it out. John the Baptist was, according to Jesus, the best man ever been born. He said, no greater man has ever been born a woman than John the Baptist. And yet, the movement of God on earth was able to survive the loss of John. Which means none of us are irreplaceable. I talk to the shepherds here. I talk to shepherds all over. When I, elder shepherds, whether they call themselves wherever I am, I'll say, if you are not training your replacement, you are building your kingdom, not God's kingdom. You need to be training the people that are going to take your place. And some, some are shocked, not our guys. Our guys are good with it. The whole point is, this isn't ours. We don't get to keep it. As I gave my report to them last week, one of the first things I said was, I'm a placeholder here. 
uh, this is not my church. It will not be my church. I'm just here to fill a momentary gap. And then the next will take over. It's also helpful if you go through, uh, not that one, but the next um, that hallway there, they have a, a display of all the important people that ever preached here. And nobody important has preached here since 1970, if I read the display correctly. So the odds that I'm going to be important are pretty low. They're pretty low. So I'm, I'm anyway. Do you have any questions at all about this? Do you want to talk more about it or shall we move on to the next story? Next story is pretty cool. Okay. Ura. Because uh, he baptized people. He was an immerser. The word literally means uh, the plunger, the dipper, the immerser. Um, and we, uh, the Greek term, baptizo, they just anglicize that to Baptist. But, um, well, all right, this crowd's going to have to be separated. I would sit you alphabetically, but two of you are twins, and that doesn't help me at all. <laughs> but, um, we, we'll, get, we'll get Audrey out of there. Get her a better, we'll get you a better group, shall we? The, uh, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Remember, this goes back to the casting out of demons and such. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. That reminds me of Psalm 23. He makes me lie down. You got to take your rest. One of the first things I said, literally, one of the first things I said to the staff when I got here three years ago, first staff meeting, they turned it over to me. I said, the first thing you need to know is that no is a spiritual word. It is also a complete sentence. I expect you to learn how to say no, not only to others who want too much of your time, but to me. You need your Sabbath. You need your time quiet. Whatever energizes you, you need that. And we went from there, but Jesus, they said, you didn't even have a chance to eat. Cammy knows this. I, 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 no big secrets here, but uh, when I go off to speak places, I almost never get a chance to eat because people will be talking. And so I'm just prepared for it. You know, I'll eat tonight in my hotel room quietly. And many times people say, oh, we'll take you out to eat. No, because they won't be eating then either. They're going to be too busy. Ask me questions, and, you know, it, it, it gets to where you don't. And so I, I just prepare myself, all right, this day I'll eat later. You know, it's my own little private Ramadan, <laughs> yes, uh, that I'll, I'll eat when the sun goes down. It is, it's, just be aware of that. If ever you have somebody come here that's important to speak, give them a little space. Sometimes they need it, but they'll never ask for it. Um, and it's the good ones will never ask for it. So here he says, no, come away. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a, a boat, sorry, boat, <clears throat> a dangy, to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Uh, first few times I went to speak at Tulsa Workshop, I told Cammie, my favorite thing about this is I can walk across that entire place and nobody knows who I am because I'd never spoken out there before and the people in Oklahoma didn't really know who I was. That ended, but that was so much fun. It's like walking invisible. It's cool. 
um, we were, we took a break years and years ago. We were actually going to go to a big golf outing for, uh, and to benefit a Christian college, but we went to a, a state we didn't even live in, and we had some friends with us. We thought, all right, what, what do we do for the evening? And we did what Americans do. You know, you went and you walk around the mall, then you eat somewhere because there was nothing else to do in that little place. So we're going to walk around the mall, and, and this, this really big African-American man uh, stops, and he goes, are you Patrick Mead? And I'm going, no, he is. <laughs> and about that time, he picked me up and hugged me, and, 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 and it's, it's a young man. I actually knew the young man, but put me down, talked for a while, moved on. Cammy says, I can't take you anywhere. I know, I'm sorry. It's, it's not so much famous, it's infamous, but still... Um, Jesus had to get away, and he wanted them to get away. Jesus landed and saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them. See, there's the difference between Jesus and me. I see the crowd, and I'm going, seriously? But he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day. So his disciples came to him. This is a remote, I love this story. This is a remote place. It's already late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and get them something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. All right. Have you ever thought about this? Have you seriously thought about this story? Jesus is sitting there with his 12 unemployed friends. There are 5,000 people out here. And he's going on a bit. So his disciples want him to wrap up his lesson. People are getting hungry, and other versions of this, they're even fainting with hunger. <laughs> and they didn't bring a pillow like Vicky, so they're in trouble. So these apostles are going up to God, to God, and saying, you might want to wrap this up. People are getting hungry. If you haven't noticed, we're a long way from the nearest Mac falafel or, or wherever they can get food at this stage. So um, wrap it up, let them go. They're saying this to God. And he turns to him and he goes, no, you get him something to eat. 5,000 guests. <laughs> Weren't prepared for that. Hadn't had a job for a while. You can almost see him going, okay, okay, okay. What, what do you guys got? Anybody got anything? They're digging around in a robe somewhere, you know. Got a lifesaver, a tic-tac, a fuzzy thing. I'm not really sure what that one is. But, you know, and, and they're all going. And I love this story. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Yeah, let's tell God how much it costs and why we can't do it. And that's, this story has hooks in it. And this hooks me. Because many times I'll tell God why we can't do what he'd like for us to do. Go into all the world. That's expensive, God. That is. Hard to find volunteers. Not really sure that's going to work out for us very well. Feed the poor. Well, you know, there are a lot of them. There are a lot of them. And, and the money, money's kind of tight there, God. <laughs> this, have you ever noticed that this is a blast on us? I think most people are going, and it was a miracle. People, the miracle is the least impressive part of the story to me. Because God created the heavens and the earth. He can make food. I'm not, that one doesn't make me go, woo. It's, it's all the other bits that do. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Now, that's a very interesting thing there. They don't say, we don't have that kind of money. They're saying, we could probably get it. But is that wise use of our money? How many times have I been told by people, you know, given to the poor and such, that's not very wise. It just encourages their poorness. 
Oh, all the time. We feed the homeless on the Sundays um, in, in Detroit. And this is, good, this is a good man. This is a good man. He comes down. We're, we're feeding the homeless, giving coats and such. And we're driving back. And he was visiting from another state. And he said, how long have you been doing this? And at that time, I think it was about three years. And he goes, are the same people coming every, every time you go? And I go, no, pretty much. And he goes, well, then what difference are you making? On our drive here, they were hungry and cold. On our drive away, they're not. He goes, but they'll be hungry and cold again next month. I said, that's why we come back. And his thought was, this isn't effective unless they become, I don't know, CEOs or something. And I'm going, no, 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 that's not our job. Our job is not to make them move forward in their life and progress and be happy and, you know, white picket fence. Our job is to give them what we got. I don't know if that's wise. Aren't they going to spend it? Again, one of my favorite stories I've told you before. Uh, C.S. Lewis and his friend J.R.R. Tolkien were walking across the quad. And uh, a bum, uh, they, uh, back in the day, we're allowed to call him that, walked up to them and asked them for money. You know, I'm poor, I'm falling on hard times. Immediately, C.S. Lewis, Jack, as he's known over there, immediately started running around and pulled out and handed him his, his coins, which coins are also... Um, the same as folding money over here. Because coins can be for a pound, two pounds, five pounds, you know, a crown back then, a ducat. And the like. So uh, they didn't have ducats his time, but crowns and, and like so, sovereigns. So he puts that in his hand. And G- as they walk on, J.R. Tolkien is so furious with C.S. Lewis and saying he's just going to take it and spend it on tobacco and alcohol. And C.S. Lewis looked at him and says, well, that's what I was going to do with it. It's one of my favorite stories. Because we can say, you know, that's wasteful. We should invest it. I have some great Enron stock. After a while, you know, let's be careful about that. One of my favorite beggars, and I had favorites, as we would go into Tiger Stadium to watch um, baseball, the the Tiger Stadium's in a really poor part of town. Uh, Some of it's being gentrified, and they're moving a homeless out, but the homeless would be there. And a lot of them would be, uh, you know, doing a little dance or playing a little horn or something for you to give tips to. One guy just sat there with a sign just saying, I need $5 for a tall boy, which meant the, the tall can of, of beer. I appreciated him. I really did. I know exactly what you're going for. There is, there is no, um, there's no deceit in this transaction whatsoever. Um, by the way, I remember, the, I don't mean to offend anybody, but we'd go down again to feed the homeless and we were setting up. Sometimes they'd say, now, who are you guys? And we'd say, well, we're a church. Sometimes they would begin to hide their beer or something. And I'd say, you don't need to hide that. And they'll say, well, I, you know, I'm sorry, I'm trying to quit. Well, they're not trying to quit. And I'm, I said, no. I said, buddy, I understand something. I can go to the doctor when I hurt, and I can get fixed, or I can get medication. I can go to the pharmacy and get pills. You, don't, you can't get sleeping pills, pain pills. And you're sleeping out here on the rough, rough ground in Detroit. If you need something to deaden the pain for a while, I'm not going to judge you for that. Let's talk. I've had people say, oh, you shouldn't do that. Well, you know, go live out there for a while and see if you, you know, you may not drink it, but you'll hit yourself on the head with it or something to get, to get out of the pain. We're not going to spend that much. He says, well, how much do you have? Go see. Well, we find out later, we find out in other tellings of the story that they go find a boy, one boy, whose mama packed a lunch. Good mama. 
She even put it in the ancient form of Tupperware, baskets. Maybe a Longaberger. Longaberger is a German word, which means way too expensive. <laughs> so he has, he has and, and it doesn't say that the little boy came running up to Jesus saying, here's my food, share it with all. That would have been a good story. I'm not making fun of that. That would have been a good story, but that's not the story. It doesn't even say that the boy offered the food to the apostles and they brought it. No, it says they brought the boy who had the food. <laughs> That's a whole different thing. Uh, I've seen a painting where he's doing this to Jesus. No, no. He's wrapped around that thing. There are 5,000 hungry people and all of a sudden Jesus' posse has shown up saying, we're going to need the food. <laughs> so they bring the boy who has the food. He's wrapped around. <laughs> and they bring it and just... They don't bring it to Jesus to show him, here's the food, spread it about. They bring it to show him there's not enough food. How many times have I done that to God? Oh, and I'm not done. I'll do it again. Uh, God said, I know what you want, but there's just not enough here to do that. That's just not going to work. Um, he said, we got five loaves, two fish. Then Jesus directed him to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat in groups of hundreds and fifties. I, well, let's just stop. Let's just stop for a minute. You got five loaves and two fish, 5,000 hungry people and one angry little boy. And Jesus says, oh, good. Get everybody in groups and pass it out. I got to ask you a question. Would you have done it? Seriously. Don't, don't try to holy me here and say, why, yes. I don't, think, I don't think anybody in this room would have done it. We would have argued with Jesus about why that was a stupid idea. We wouldn't have said stupid because Mama said not to. And he's God. But we would have tried to say, uh, God, there might be a couple of things you've not thought of here. As in, like, the total inadequacy of the molecular density of the food available for the crowd. The... Um, I would not have done it. I would, you know, I would just, you know, kind of trying to get away through the back of the apostles. <laughs> Look over there, Elvis. That probably wouldn't have worked. The Elvis thing probably would not have worked. But I would have tried to find Herod. I would have tried to create a diversion. So I would have. Um, oh, look, Pharisee over there judging somebody. Um, but they lined him up. We make fun of the apostles sometimes because of the mistakes they made, but every single one of the apostles had far more faith than I've ever shown in my life. Just to be blunt. They are amazing because they put them in groups. And he tells them, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, broke the loaves, gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. Got to stop again. You might have put them in groups, but would you have gone out now with what you got? Okay. Twelve people, do the math, two fish, you got one-sixth of a fish, right? And you got five-twelfths of, of a loaf, and you're going to a group 150, and that's your first of your many assigned groups. You know, you go almost, have you ever been at one of those tables at a, like a, a rehearsal or a wedding or something, and they call them by tables to the buffet, and you're going, you know, they call that one, no, you know, you're last. You get over there, there's a breadstick and, you know, one piece of pasta. You know that's what they're thinking in the group. Let it be us, let us be us. And they, they, they go up to the group. Would you have gone to the group? I would not have gone. I would have left at that time. If I hadn't left first of all, I would have left this time. I love these guys because at least they went. You can only see them going, okay, 
here's a fish sandwich. Welcome to number one position, well placed. After a while, they're going, they're looking at the other guys. The other guys are still handing out, and they're going, this is cool. This is, we got food. Line up, people. We got food. You know, we, and and, and it was, it, it's a great story. But we miss it because we think the stories about Jesus can take little loaves and fishes and make a bunch of them. Isn't he amazing? It isn't about loaves and fishes. It's about what do you do when God tells you to do the impossible? Do you tell him it's impossible and sit down? Do you create a diversion and leave? Or do you step up? As one, I have no idea who said this first. They said if God tells you to jump through a wall, it's your job to jump. It's his job to make the hole. I wish I could give credit to whoever said that first. Can't, cannot trace it down. Well, they distribute, they ate all, they all ate and were satisfied. Wow. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces and bread and fish. Then um, the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Now, when I was a boy, they killed this story. Always about, you know, Jesus has the power to create. Well, I already knew that. I'd read Genesis 1. But then they would come to this bet and say, and it's a sin to waste things. You cannot waste. And that's a clean plate club. But I mean, that's just started from there, right? People, that's not what it's about. It's about when God gives you an order, do it. You'll, you'll have enough to do it, and there'll be enough left that'll surprise you. I think back to Ruth and Boaz. I think they gave all the extra food to the boy. Maybe even the baskets. He's afraid his mama's never going to see his Tupperware again. And mama's guard Tupperware. Evidently, that stuff's made out of yak tears. I love this story. This story just makes me sit back and sometimes laugh and sometimes go, uh oh, because the hook grabbed me. God said, do something. And I said, no, nah, I can't be done. Really? God says, do it. Think about it. He says, go into all the world. Have we, have we even done that yet? We've had 2,000 years. In many ways, I think God's given up on that, and so he's bringing the world to us. He's just moving everybody everywhere. So you won't do it? He'll do it. Then says, now do this. And we're going, well, you know, that won't work. I uh, brought up on Facebook uh, this last week, Otter Creek, um, my son-in-law, Josh, has a tremendous heart for reconciliation between groups, whether that be black and white or be Christian and Muslim. And so he had a, a lunch up there for us to, to go up if we wanted to. And uh, representatives from, I don't know, about five or six different churches went. Um, we were the only other Church of Christ. No, that's not true. Ethos also went um, to, to meet with some leaders of the Muslim churches in, in the area to talk about how can we sit down and share bread rather than bayonets and bombs? How can we sit down and form a relationship to where we're not, no longer a problem, but we are actually people? Uh, and brought that up, and I was very happy to do it. It was a great, great time, and I think I formed some, some friendships that I, I can work with some people. Immediately, I started getting little messages. Well, I, you know, I don't think you can ever, there can ever be peace between, really, really? God says, go, don't tell him it won't work, Go. See what happens. Um, anyway, I've gone on quite some length here, and 
we've only got another minute or so, but do you have anything? I hope you like the story as much as I do, is all I can say. I just love this thing. Anything else? Well, I'm not going to start the water walking then, because that's a, that's a hilarious story. Don't read ahead and spoil it. No, go ahead and read ahead. But I'm looking forward to that one next.